Hi, Benji here, and this is a quick trigger warning that during the first part of this episode, we talk about disordered eating and other related topics. If you'd like to skip this content, then please check the episode description for a timestamp to skip forward to so you can enjoy the rest of the episode. Take care of yourselves, friends. When someone like Gwyneth Paltrow talks about well-being, what she's really talking about is like essential oils and crystals yeah. and supplements yeah. and various things that she can sell to people. Various things mm -hmm. that have absolutely no basis in science. It's so insidious what they do and the lengths they will go to to just make money for themselves mm. because it ends up killing people but that doesn't matter because they're making money you know okay this is episode 22 ollie. i don't know about you i'm feeling 22 <laughs> ollie your video is gone what do you mean oh as in it's gone all blurry it's gone black like i can't see you anymore i, I mean that's probably just like your oh internet. it said live video will return when their internet improves it's you oh shade okay well let's hope that returns on my screen you are like literally a potato <laughs> <laughs> you're says, about for me, three it's... pixels okay we're recording right, so... this virtually yes this is episode 22 and it's the first time is it episode 22 yes i don't know about okay. you but i'm feeling 22 i've made that joke <laughs> three times now and you're still asking if it's episode 22 i think i just want to hear you say it over and over again yeah so it's episode 22 and we are recording virtually for the first time for many different reasons but yeah it's it's been a little bit of a journey to get it set up not gonna lie yeah no definitely mm, almost definitely harder than any of our in-person setups well I, I don't know it's been an hour i feel like it has been an hour i feel like the first time we set up was similar yeah true well this time at least maybe it will you know allow us to like record the podcast in bali or whatever that's my goal <laughs> my dream is to just be yeah in bali recording the podcast I love that for you. Anyway, that. how are you, Benji? I'm all right. Things are moving. My book is still out. Hope this helps. Help you find it to yourself <laughs> and others. So please do check that out at Amazon and Waterstones. It has been really cool to see more and more people finish the book and tell me how they feel about it. A library shouted me out the other day in Dublin. They had me stocked, which was like a really, really cool. Because I don't know about International you, but the queen. library was such a right the library was such a mm. safe space for me growing up uh, i was that kid who used to not want to go and play football with the boys and i'd want to just like stay in the library at lunchtime and read my parents used to take me to do there was this book thing i don't know if you did it ollie but it was this thing that kids did in like the holidays local libraries organized it there'd be like lists of books to read and they'd be graded by like color. The grade two would be yellow or something and be aimed at like a certain age group and there'd be like 30 books on it. And if you read three books, you got a prize. If you read five books, you got a prize. If you read 10 books, you got a prize. If you read mm. all of them, you got like an amazing prize. Did you do something like that? I, I remember that scheme. I didn't do it myself on account of not being a nerd. Boom, roasted. <laughs> it's funny okay. because I am the biggest nerd around i was literally gonna say <laughs> either of us are a nerd it's you i think actually i was a bit like i mean i'm fully just like bragging here with no substance to this but i think i was a bit too like beyond doing those schemes you know i was like reading Ooh. above that level okay well you didn't let me finish because i used to be a couple colors ahead of my actual color like every time yeah okay 
but I'm just I was. saying, like, I was you a know. very advanced reader. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. My suggestion was that I was past every colour, not just like past the colour for my age, you know what I mean? Which just absolutely uh... isn't true. I'm just making this up on the spot. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. But yeah, no, I, I don't think I ever did those things. And although I am a nerd, I was playing football with the boys rather than spending lunch times in the library. Oh, she's special. She is. She's a pick me gay. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, Ollie, I still can't see you. Well, I can see Ollie. me, and that's the important thing. Well, it's kind of not, but I kind of need to see you so I can see your reaction. For why not? You're like bobbing me off right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually just naked right now. So, that's fun. Now things just got really awkward. Okay, <laughs> well, let's start the podcast and hopefully you come yes. back. So, what are we discussing today, Ollie? We are discussing Gwyneth Paltrow and her recent controversy. We are discussing Gary Lineker and his recent controversy. Um, <laughs> you have a no nuance, I believe. So my no nuance is about caveating. Okay. I'll leave it at that, yeah. And then we're starting with a comment from our Roald Dahl episode, episode 20. And that comment is, censorship is never the answer. Thoughts, or rather discuss. That's a very short and sweet comment. So essentially, for those who haven't listened to that episode, if you haven't, please go back and listen to it, episode 20. It's one of our best ones, I think. And we are essentially talking about Roald Dahl's publisher, so the publisher of Roald Dahl's children's books, decision to release new versions of his books that have been edited slightly to be more inclusive and more sensitive for a newer, younger, progressive audience, essentially. So words like facts have been removed and some misogynistic descriptions have been removed. And, and essentially, the purpose of it is to just make the books more commercial, really, and drive more sales and attract newer readers as well. But a lot of people who are very anti quote-unquote wokeism and lefty libs have kind of been an uproar about it, saying that the book shouldn't be changed and i guess this person is on that side of things we did a tiktok about like removing the n-word from books that are taught and read in school and read out loud in school like of mice and men and yeah someone said censorship is never the answer and before i speak on it i wondered if you have any thoughts on that so my initial thought is that you're being very dramatic sorry <laughs> the, 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 the commenter the commenter is being very very yeah. very dramatic i would love to look up the actual definition of censorship in fact let's see that right now so censorship is the suppression of speech public communication or other information the words of Roald Dahl are not being suppressed you can find the older versions of the book if you would like to read them in fact they actually have decided almost certainly due to the uproar and the backlash to republish newer editions of the old works, if that makes sense. So if you want to read those, then you can still access them. You can still access them before. And also, as we also unpacked on the podcast episode itself, his books have been edited for sensitivity before, like in the past. So the version you grew up with, it's not even the original version. It's the censored version. So what about that? Let's relax, okay? okay? It's not censorship. Let me, let me provide a counter because I'm not sure that's airtight. I mean, I, I, I didn't know about them releasing... Re so they're re-releasing the first edition. So not the first edition. It's, it's I guess the newest the newest edition before the oh, okay. so latest edits. Okay, I get you. I think 
we can say it's not censorship because, you know, you can still find the old books if you really want to. But I think that's perhaps obtuse. You know, it's not easy to find a first edition copy of Roald Dahl, right? Because, you know, there have been so many editions since, presumably. And the intention is for that book to no longer be in circulation. I think with these publishers, is mm. the intention is for new readers to read the new versions. And so, although it might not technically be censorship, because technically you can find it if you really look for it, in reality, I think you could argue that it does become censorship when you make something so difficult for someone to find. You know, you could argue that, oh, well, North Korea or whoever doesn't censor things because if you really wanted to you could like mm. go on the dark web and use a vpn and risk your life to find these things but in reality you're not going to do that and so the consequence comes down to it being censorship the thing is for me and i, I yeah i do get what you mean like it is you could say it's censorship in a sense that, like, yeah, the idea is that you're not meant to read the older versions, you know. I mean, that's if you cut out the fact that they are releasing the older version of it alongside the new version. But I guess maybe yeah, with 100%, that yeah. With that information subtracted, then, yeah, you could maybe make a, a stronger argument for censorship. I just still feel like it's a very dramatic reaction to a children's book being amended like that makes sense and I, I and i agree with that i don't think it's censorship or if it is censorship it's a light form of censorship when we normally talk about more drastic forms you know mm. when we speak about censorship we're normally talking about something the government has done to repress like political opposition kind of thing or right on a on a wide scale stopping views of the public being formed and so there's this interesting thing when it comes to freedom of speech where freedom of speech generally is freedom to speak against the government right so what we mean by freedom of speech is that the government and the people in power shouldn't be preventing us from saying things and from expressing ideas however freedom of speech is a human right not a like private right so private companies have always had the right, to some extent, to restrict freedom of speech. So, for example, on social media platforms, mm. I mean, I'm sure you have had, like, TikToks removed before, right? I, I definitely yeah. have. I've had TikToks banned by the platform. There are certain things that you can't say on certain platforms. You can even set up sort of filters for particular keywords, which they do and, and us as creators can do to prevent certain comments from coming through. And that's a form of censorship in the sense that you're not allowed to express exactly what you want, but it happens all the time, right? Like if someone's giving a, a speech, like a, say a Tory conference, you can't go in and start shouting Labour like rhetoric because you'll get kicked out. Mm. And that's a form of censorship, right? Mm. But the whole point is that mm. censorship happens all the time. People are told to stop talking, you know. Mm -hmm. Having to raise your hand at school is a form of censorship. If you're going to talk about censorship mm. by private entities towards other private entities, then it sort of loses all meaning in that sense. Because really what we're worried about is censorship of the government from the government towards its people. So it's very dramatic as you said to call this censorship when it's not but even if it is 
the idea that censorship is never the answer is just wrong in my opinion and my opinion is quite educated given this was literally the topic of my legal masters at oxford it was freedom of expression and to what oh, extent yeah went, at oxford university you went to oxford? I, I actually did no way. my initial research proposal was to what extent is censorship the way forward for combating vaccine disinformation on social media so i had to look into you know how useful is censorship so before the haters come at me i have probably done a lot more research on this than you <laughs> and mm. censorship happens right even by the government in some forms and it is accepted so, for example, false advertising. We don't allow false advertising, right? There are regulatory bodies, Ofcom and the Advertising Standards Agency, that will regulate what kind of ads can be shown on TV, for example. Mm -hmm. And if an advert, say, I mean, Red Bull gives you wings, that was quite a contentious example because someone sued Red Bull for saying Red Bull gives you wings. They sued them for false advertising. And I'm pretty sure they won. What? I would Let me fact check Wait, that. someone sued Red Bull because they didn't get wings? Yeah, okay, so... After drinking the Austrian, a can. Hang on. The Austrian-based energy drink company, famous for its promise to give you wings, agreed to pay over $13 million to settle a proposed class action that accused the company and its US subsidiaries of falsely advertising that its energy drinks... Oh, wait. Hang on. Maybe it wasn't the that gave you wings. No. <laughs> okay, falsely advertising that its energy drinks enhance performance, concentration, and reaction speed. Okay, so they weren't sued over the Red Bull gives you wings. They wow. were sued not over a like, not... legitimate... What are you going to say? Not the misinformation expert spreading fake news. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I checked it. Okay, but it, you know, it proves the point, right? They are not allowed to say things like, are drinks enhance performance, concentration, and reaction speed. And that is censorship, in a sense, you know, because they mm. want to say something, but they're not allowed to. But it would be absurd to argue, and, you know, there are a lot of freedom of speech philosophers out there that are very, very in favour of, like, unrestricted free speech, but almost none of them advocates for false advertising to be allowed. I haven't read a single free speech philosopher who thinks that false advertising is a good thing that should be allowed. So mm. this idea that censorship mm. is never the answer is just wrong, you know? And like, we'll get onto this in the, in the crux of the episode, but my research then looked at, well, okay, to what extent is vaccine disinformation and anti-vax rhetoric? That's like free speech but it can also be classed as false advertising because they're trying to sell you a product and this kind of misinformation is killing people. So is it okay to censor that? And my conclusion was that yes, it is. If you have false information that is killing people, censorship can be an answer to that. Mm. So I realise that's like very long, but that's why I think <laughs> <laughs> user 15094 is mm. wrong. Yeah. No, I agree. But I yeah. Agree. Retweet. I think we should move on to Gwyneth Paltrow, who has yes. done some very similar things. Let's do it. So Gwyneth Paltrow has gone viral on TikTok for a clip that has been taken from her appearance on a podcast called The Art of Being Well. 
It's hosted by Dr. Will Cole, and it is a wellness podcast. Before you go on, can we put in, in inverted commas, Dr. Will Cole? And we'll get on to that, but inverted commas, doctor. Whoa, what do you yeah. know that I don't know? So, piping hot tea incoming. So, in, in, <laughs> Dr. Will Cole, quote unquote, as he calls himself, is asking... Gwyneth about her meticulous daily routine. Gwyneth Paltrow is, of course, the actress and also the founder of Goop, which is like a, a lifestyle brand. And Gwyneth is very much known for her detox diets, her like wellness products, her scented candles. Do you remember when she sold a scented candle, which was called This Is What My Vagina Smells Like? Oh, um, yeah, I do. Yeah. So that's what she's known for. And on the episode, she is, whilst on a drip, she's on an IV drip of vitamins. She is, she's talking about what she eats in a day. So I'll read it out. So she has an early dinner every day. And then she fasts from then up until the next day. In the morning, she will have like a coffee. And then her first meal, she should break her fast at about noon with bone broth. So bone broth is something I didn't know much about. Do you know what bone broth is? Um, I mean, I think it's essentially just water that's had a bit of like, I, I guess like the bone that a meat would have been on put in so that it has a bit of flavor to it but it's essentially just water right yeah essentially it's like low calorie soup you simmer the bones in water and then you sip that when i looked it up i think like a cup of bone broth maybe has like like 30 to 40 calories or something like that okay so it's not much food essentially especially if you haven't eaten since like early evening like the day before right she'll then do an hour of movement so she'll go for a walk or she'll do like a, a home workout and then she'll go to the sauna and have an infrared session not sure what that does but okay and then she'll have an early dinner full of lots of vegetables to fit her paleo diet and she says that this lifestyle helps with her detox so this clip has gone viral on TikTok with many people, including model and activist Tess Holiday, basically slamming Gwyneth for promoting disordered eating. She's being slammed for recommending an unhealthy lifestyle because ultimately people are arguing, and I agree with them, that regular people anyway, who don't have the wealth and the access that Gwyneth Paltrow has, cannot exist in this way. You can't just exist on bone broth and vegetables and, and still do the things you need to do in a day and be healthy and live a, f a fulfilled life. And so the idea that people who want to be healthy and well, you know, should do this, it, it's just it's very harmful and unrealistic and dangerous as well. Some people have been making comments about Gwyneth and, you know, why she may be doing this, whether it's for money, whether it's because she herself has an ED. Um, there's lots of speculation and discourse kind of going about the internet, but, but that's what the situation is. You hadn't seen, like, this going around. Like, I just showed no, you I hadn't. Morning. No, it doesn't yeah. surprise me in the slightest, given Gwyneth's mm. existence, but I hadn't seen it. But you're not surprised then. Like, oh, so... Very much on brand, right, for Gwyneth. <clears throat> Basically, I mean, you know, even from the name of the podcast that she was on, The Art of Being Well, that's already a huge red flag for me. Anything with, like, well-being in it is a huge red mm. flag for me, which is wild given that you call yourself a well-being consultant. But in terms of... I do. In terms of, like, alternative medicine remedies this kind of thing things you put into your body almost all of them if they call themselves well-being i'm immediately skeptical because to me it just tells me that they are not listening to what science has told us and going against like conventional medicine 
which very much seems to be the case here. This is the peak of privileged white women self-care. I am an inclusion and well-being consultant, but my perspective on well-being and wellness is that it's about self-preservation, ultimately. It's about acknowledging the fact that we only have one body. When your body breaks down, you don't have another body that you can just go and pick up at the shop, right? And so therefore, first and foremost, we need to be making decisions in our lives that have self-preservation at the heart of them, or at least be trying our best to do so. And that is ultimately, for me, what self-care is all about. It's about taking care of the body that you live in. That's it. Now, this perspective on self-care is not mine. It's actually driven from activists, people who were fighting for racial equality in like the 60s, people like Angela Davis and Erica Huggins. And they spoke about the importance of radical self-care, specifically for marginalized individuals. And the idea of that was that we can't rely on the systems around us to protect us. We are constantly under attack. And so therefore, we need to come up with ways that we can advocate for ourselves and protect ourselves because no one's going to do it for us. And yet this idea of self-care has now been appropriated to the extent that it's now become this thing where it's commodified. It's about getting on the latest diet. It's about buying the latest, um, you know, <laughs> goop candle. And, and ultimately, it's not really about self-preservation. It's about being perceived by others to be living a superior lifestyle. Someone like Gwyneth Paltrow feels very confident sitting on this podcast telling us about her wild eating habits without any sort of thought about the, the harmful impact of that because ultimately she feels like the way she lives is a badge of honour because ultimately that is where the conversation about wellness, that's where it's led to. It's about people who don't really need it, using it as, as a playground to show off the access that they have, the privilege that they hold and to make money. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow has been detoxing for decades now. Why? Because Goop sells detox programs, sells detox diets. They're monetizing this because otherwise, what are you detoxing from? If you were detoxing, literally, is, is there no end to the detox? When it's your entire you, you life, a continual <laughs> detox. Where is are the toxins like, coming from? Literally, like, like, and I'm sure you may be going into the science of it and everything, but uh, like, ultimately as well, eating a certain food is not going to detox your body. Detox in itself, just like, is a vague concept that doesn't actually make any sense. Like, sure, you can right. maybe flush particular things out of your body by just drinking water, but flushing out, they're imposing this idea that that flushing out is a good mm. thing when it isn't necessarily the case. Mm. But yeah, what I wanted to pick up on is like the kind of well-being that you're talking about, right, that Erica Huggins and Angela Davis come up with is to do with, for example, getting enough sleep. To, like taking care of your body because mm. you've only got one body yeah that's not going against conventional medical advice right like if anything it's sort of taking that conventional medical advice getting enough sleep getting the medicine that you need those kind of things right yeah and it's, it's also about advocating for yourself as well and detaching from harmful systems i've spoken to you about the nap ministry that's a form yeah. of self-care as well. Radical self-care, taking naps, disengaging from harmful systems of, of oppression. That's self-care. And that's where it ties into inclusion and, and the equity work that I do. When I say that I'm an inclusion wellbeing consultant, I'm not talking about people going on detox diets. 
Yeah, because when someone like Gwyneth Paltrow talks about well-being, what she's really talking about is like essential oils and crystals yeah. and supplements yeah. and various things that she can sell to people. Various things mm -hmm. that have absolutely no basis in science, no. but that she and other people have decided, oh, this is better for you than cancer treatment, so you should get this. And so... That's kind of what I want to dig into today because that was my research at university and it's so insidious what they do and the lengths they will go to to just make money for themselves mm. because it ends up killing people but that doesn't matter because they're making money, you know? Mm. I want to actually talk to you about the podcast mm. that she was saying all this stuff on. So Dr. Will Cole, if you look at his website, so firstly, okay, let's start with the claim of him being a doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. So I typed into Google, Dr. Will Cole, actually a doctor? He says he's a functional <laughs> medicine practitioner, doctor of natural medicine, and doctor of chiropractic. I received my doctorate from Southern California University of Health Sciences. Wonderful. That sounds great, doesn't it? It does. So now let's look up this Southern oh, no. California University of Health Sciences. When you type it in, it says it's the premier evidence-based university for chiropractic, Ayurveda, and integrative care and health. Now, if we actually... Do you know any of those things? Do you? Well, I mean, you know what chiropractic is, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the cracking, the, the cracking of bones. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Cracking of bones. Yeah. Um, Ayurvedic is like, I think it originates somewhere in India. Okay. Yeah, ancient Indian medical system based on ancient writings that rely on a natural and holistic approach. Another way of saying has no basis in science. And if you okay. if you go on Wikipedia, it will tell you that the Southern California University of Health Science essentially just teaches programs which are regarded by the mainstream medicine and science communities as pseudoscience. It's a pseudoscience uni. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a pseudoscience Stop uni. It. So he has a pseudoscience doctorate. Like, sure, in so name like... it's a doctorate. He has his PhD, but he is not a doctor in a conventional medical sense. Like chiropractic, absolutely so like, no basis. Go ahead. Wait, chiropracting chiro is that the right word for it? That sounds weird. Chiropractic. I mean, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Does that yeah. does that not have any medical basis? No, absolutely none. Chiropracting has no Wait. medical evidence that it helps. What? Yeah. Then why are people getting their neck snapped and their back snapped? Because that stuff looks very dangerous. I mean... People are doing it with no medical backing? Yeah. You know, there's some, but there's also some the other way, right? With all of these things, you can't fully prove or disprove, but there's no conclusive right. evidence. Like, the NHS website says there's little evidence that it can help with more serious conditions. Mm, okay, it says it can mainly help with pain in muscle joints, but there's little evidence it can help with more serious conditions. Let me see if I can find anything else but also like the side effects from the treatment can be aches and pains stiffness and tiredness so it's like the things it's meant to prevent you from getting it can also get yeah because whenever i see those videos on tiktok i'm always like watching through my fingers it looks so dangerous like yeah. one mistake 
you're going to be done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, anyway. systematic reviews of controlled clinical studies have shown that chiropractic has no evidence that it's effective, Whoa. apart from maybe for back pain. And that's not even like that's a... wild. Yeah. So you can become a doctor of chiropractic, but that is not the same as a doctor of medicine, right? No. And this is the thing with this Dr. Will Cole and with so many mm. of these internet doctors is they will get a doctorate and call themselves doctor name, but they are not a doctor of medicine. And so mm. it's very like underhanded. Technically, they're a doctor in the way that I would be a doctor if I, you know, got my PhD in law, but mm. I wouldn't be a doctor of medicine. And so to then use that to promote yourself as a doctor when you're trying to give people health advice is very insidious mm. in itself. It's fraudulent, right? Like It, it is. Because... It's like it's it's no. bending the truth so far. I assumed he was a doctor because you're... Yeah. It's you, you've got doctor to find your name. You've got a wellness, you know, health and wellness podcast. And you're giving people advice on what to eat and how to live. Yeah. Like, so I'm going to assume that you probably are a doctor of medicine. Because what other yeah. like, context can And he's right? verified on TikTok. That is so dangerous. It is so dangerous to verify these people on TikTok. And this is the same for all social media platforms because yeah. then their information seems authoritative when it's not. And this Ooh. is a huge issue for health yeah. misinformation online. If you've got a blue tick next to your name that says doctor and you're making a video, people are going to think, mm. oh, well, he knows what he's talking about. He's a doctor. Mm. But it's not true. That's but So going back to Dr. Will Cole, you can see mm -hmm. just by going on his website, right? You can see how mm. awful it is and how obviously untrue. So he talks about like the difference between conventional and functional medicine. So he is a functional medicine practitioner, which means, you know, like the alternative health stuff. And if you look at what he says about the difference between functional medicine and conventional medicine, the functional medicine is about, you know, rebalancing the body's underlying physiological systems and, and making it kind of at peace with itself, right? And on his website, one of the little blog post sections that he's done is overcoming chronic illness naturally. He says, based on cutting-edge science, functional medicine offers a whole new way to understand and look at chronic illnesses, from diabetes to depression, heart disease, hypertension, autism, allergies, anxiety, and more. And the core concept is that chronic illness is an outcome of imbalances in the body. So blood sugar imbalance, insulin resistance, hormonal problems upset the body. And this in conjunction with a poor diet, lack of essential nutrients, emotional stress sets the stage for chronic disease to develop. So to put that into a concise summary, what he has just said mm. is chronic illnesses and things like autism can be cured by having a better diet and being less stressed. Oh my gosh. It yeah. is so wild to suggest that you could cure autism with a diet. And that is what he's suggesting. And that's what he's going online and telling people with his doctorate degree. The idea of curing autism is, in itself is like horrific, right? What do you mean? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's getting into, like, anti-vax, like, territory, right? Yeah, of course. In terms and this of, like, people not wanting to vaccinate their kids in case they get, like, autism. Yeah. Alternative health and anti-vax is very intrinsically linked. 
because the whole idea mm. that oh you shouldn't get a vaccine because of all these unnatural things it has in it you should use our alternative remedies to help boost your body's immune system instead that's kind of like at the crux of anti-vax i won't say it for this guy particularly because i haven't looked but most of these people that are promoting alternative health remedies are saying vaccines are bad you should buy my supplement instead you should buy mm. my book about how meditation can help cure your covid and this is something that gwyneth paltrow herself did she said when she was recovering from covid that oh my paleo diet and like my detox stuff Hang on, let me say, find exactly what she said. She suggested that her recovery from COVID was because of her keto and plant-based diet. And she used her oh platform gosh. during COVID to sell her supplements and her essential oils and all of these things. And this is exactly what anti-vaxxers do. I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but there are 12 people in the States that are responsible for the majority of vaccine disinformation that you find online. They're called the disinformation mm. dozen. And basically, it's just their life goal to spread as much anti-vax rhetoric as they can through social media platforms and then direct people from social media to their websites where they're selling alternative remedies, which is exactly what mm. Gwyneth Paltrow has done during COVID and is mm. doing, like, all the time. These essential oils, these, you know, crystals... Like, all of these things, they have absolutely no basis that they work. But because you're, one, a celebrity, or two, someone that puts doctor in front of their name and is verified on TikTok, or just because you're speaking out against the government or, like, against Big Pharma, people want to believe you. And it kills yeah. people. A good example of it, of how susceptible people are to this, is Donald Trump. Do you remember when Donald Trump was like, oh, bleach kills covid maybe we could try injecting bleach into people's veins at that conference I don't remember that. and then you don't remember it no oh my goodness he was kind of just spitballing at a conference that he was speaking at as president mm. and he was like well why don't we try injecting bleach maybe that would work and then the president's office had to very, very quickly issue a statement being like, please do not do this. You will die. Like, don't do this. He just said that and he wasn't thinking. They had to fully uh. go back on it. But in that subsequent month, the number of calls to the poison hotline in the States mm. went up four times. There were four oh, times gosh. as many calls because people were ingesting bleach in order to try yeah. to cure COVID because of what oh, Donald dear. Trump had said. Yeah, it's just so dangerous. Like, and, and, I, and the things as well is that the people who are advocating for these natural supplements and these like alternative medicines, when push comes to shove, right, they have the access, they have the money, they have the privilege to be able to get the actual proper help that they need, right? Like, I'm sure if Gwyneth got to the point where her paleo diet wasn't helping her COVID symptoms, right, she'd go to hospital and she'd get specialised care. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you're, you're preaching to people who, some of your audience are listening because they're in desperate need, especially in the States, they're in desperate need of healthcare and they can't afford, like, actual medicine, right? They can't afford to go to the hospital. And you know, they're looking to you for advice and you're selling them stuff that ultimately does not work. And when push comes to serve, you probably won't use yourself if you really need the medical assistance.
right? 100%. And also, I mean, obviously, I could speak about this for hours. I have done so at length. I mean, I wrote a mm. 30,000 word paper on it. But the other thing is, yeah, it's maybe. so convincing. <laughs> Give us the Spark Notes version. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so convincing because these sites will take academic mm. articles. They will take, well, in inverted commas, academic articles and use them as proof that their things work. So, for example, mm. one that really stuck out to me was this website you know offering all of the same stuff and they had a blog post about fighting covid and it mm. was like use our intravenous ozone therapy come for a like session treatment or something and it will cure it and then it linked to a academic article showing how ozone had been proven to destroy all covid and this comes back to the bleach thing i read this article i read their blog i read the articles linked to it and i was like huh i can't see anything wrong with this I don't understand mm. how this is wrong because it must mm. be wrong in some way. Otherwise, it would be mainstream. But nothing in this academic scientific article is explaining why we shouldn't be using ozone therapy. So I asked my friend, who's a researcher and tutor of medicinal chemistry at the University of Oxford. Mm. I said to him, what is wrong with this article? Is it not credible? Why is it that we aren't using ozone therapy in the way that they're suggesting? And he was like, Ollie, if you inject ozone, you will die. It will kill the COVID, but it will also kill mm. everything else in the cell. Mm. And nowhere in that article did it mention this did it mention that oh yeah covid ozone kills the covid but it also kills everything else in the cell and then you as a consequence so and i guess so, they're getting by on like a technicality yeah and so it's very difficult mm. for anyone unless you're sort of actually a scientist for you to understand what is wrong and why their arguments mm. aren't airtight and so it's very easy to be convinced by them and there's also it and sorry, there's another interesting <laughs> and insidious aspect to it is that, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the US in general and not having healthcare is a good point. In the UK, like non-white people are mm -hmm. way more susceptible and way more at risk to this kind of vaccine disinformation and, and health disinformation than white people mm -hmm. because of our country's historic mistreatment of specifically black people in like the 70s mm. hang on in in the healthcare yeah well i mean there's racist inequities in healthcare that are you know very very prevalent to this day black women are way more likely to die during childbirth than white women are that's just one you know black and brown people were more susceptible to dying from covid19 there's a clear racial divide when it comes to um, people's experiences with the healthcare system in the UK. Yeah, and the medical education system in the UK is also focused on like white bodies and research on white bodies. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember exactly what it was. But in, I think, maybe the 50s or 60s, something like that, maybe even as, as recently as the 70s, there was a period of time when doctors or something were like experimenting with with like health and surgeries and stuff on black people and mm -hmm. and basically they were they were taking risks that they would never take on white patients mm -hmm. take everything i say with a pinch of salt here because it won't be fully accurate but basically there was a huge huge 
mistreatment of black people in UK hospitals, and that has never gone away fully. There remains to this day like a mistrust for a lot of people of colour in the UK of medical systems because of what happened. And then so so it makes it so that... can, can I jump in there? Well, let me and just, just let me just finish correct. this point. Okay. Let me just finish this point. Is that it is so? It's been it is shown a cor- that huh? Let me let me just finish the point. And then it is a correction. Say. Okay. So basically, it's been shown that then people of color have just been more susceptible and more likely to accept this disinformation because of the mistrust of the government and the health services in the UK. The correction I was going to jump in there with is that, like, you make it sound as if it's, like, a legacy thing. Like, it's because of what happened then that people are still distrustful now, when there are many examples of racist negligence within the NHS of black and brown people today, right? Yes. So it's not just, like, it's not like a legacy thing. Like, it is a legacy thing, and it's also a today thing. It's also, like, there's stories in the news very frequently about how people of colour in the UK have been mistreated by the NHS for many different reasons, you know. So your your, your point is correct. Like, I just wanted to emphasise that because it's not that, like, people are hearing horror stories by, like, the fire that, like, grandparents told them. It's that their cousin went into distress during their labour and the midwife refused to give them pain medication or the correct medication because, you know, they had racial bias and they thought they could handle it or they could push through. These are things that are happening today. And so there is definitely a distrust of the healthcare system that is is very legitimate when it comes to communities of colour. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. It's not just legacy because racism still exists. So racism, therefore, must exist in the healthcare system as well. There's always underlying problems and events, right? Because of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. There was one particular incident that really shook things up, and I'm annoyed that I can't find it. But we'll find it for yeah, another episode. I just I think it's important to correct that because you then get racist. You then go, well, why don't you just get over it? And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's still happening. Yes. <laughs> it's still, still very much here. Do you know what I mean? It's not something that's from the history books. Like, it's very much still happening. So people have a, a right to be distrustful. We need to be acknowledging that and obviously trying to fix those issues. Um, but then also trying our best to work with communities of colour. And that's why targeted outreach is so, so important to make sure that these communities are actually, you know, being spoken to in a way that acknowledges the context, but it's giving them the information and the support that they need so they're not led down this dark path by these false doctors and these people spreading misinformation online and offline, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to healthcare and wellness. So, yeah, I don't really know how we wrap up on this, but basically, in my personal opinion, Gwyneth Paltrow is absolute trash yeah yeah. there's so much more we could say um but i'm also conscious that you know we are not um ourselves health professionals so i I would say if you are listening to this and you are somebody who you know does want to make certain changes when it comes to your diet your health you want to maybe eat better and you want to adjust your diet please go speak to your doctor get medical advice first but before you start making drastic changes to your diet and your lifestyle at the bare minimum seek experts and like ollie has done do your research don't be like me and don't just assume that someone is a medical doctor because they're trying to convince you that they are people like Gwyneth Paltrow are just trying to make money off of you and they truly don't care whether you you live or you you don't so that's it period yeah all right, all right. time for my no nuance your time starts now something that is such a tiring drain of energy if you are somebody who is marginalized who does have a voice that is underrepresented is the fact that you have to caveat 
everything. And when I say caveat, I don't mean acknowledge nuance and acknowledge exceptions, which are important to acknowledge, right? I'm talking about the fact that if you make a point, you have to mention every other instance and situation where your point may not apply or may not be valid because somebody who is biased against you and what you have to say because of who you are is going to jump on that one exception that you fail to mention to therefore invalidate your whole argument and your whole point of view. If I say that kids deserve food and don't deserve to go hungry, it's implied that adults also deserve food and don't deserve to go hungry. I don't need to caveat that if we're having a conversation about solving hunger when it comes to kids. But the thing is that I feel like as somebody who is black, who is queer, who does have the voice that I do have, I have to caveat every single thing that I say to a just ridiculous, unnecessary extent. Because if I don't, someone is going to look for a little chink in the argument and just devalue my whole point. And it's just so tiring and it's so exhausting and it's just a waste of time. And I wish people would just not do that. Do you know what I mean? I do. It's interesting. How much do you think is because of oppression and how much is just because it's someone who is on the opposite side to you that wants to like just find any hole in your argument because they disagree? Both of them are intertwined in the sense that it is somebody who is looking to oppose what I'm saying, probably because I'm talking about something that relates to equity, equality, that sort of thing. And they are somebody who is biased in a way that means that they disagree with what I'm saying. Mm. So they are going to use a whataboutism or they're going to find one little instance in which what I'm saying doesn't apply in order to devalue my whole argument. So therefore my challenge of some sort of system of oppression will therefore be invalidated. I think what it really boils down to is not a desire to seek the truth, but it's a desire to like take someone else down. That's the difference. Mm. And if I, as a white person, were to make the same point about, like, a black issue that you might make, presumably, and I think this would be the case, they would be more receptive to hearing it, right? Without the caveat, to an extent. Yeah, I would say more receptive, but also as well, not looking for any sort of reason to, like, invalidate what you're saying because of a minor exception. I, I feel like... It's such a waste of time. When we're having conversations, we can't always mention everything. Okay. So now, so moving on, Benji. Yeah, Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker is a retired footballer who now does a lot of presenting for BBC, which is the UK's, like, well, British... Wait, what's it? what does it stand for? British Broadcasting... Broadcast Corp- Corporation? Corp- Channel? British Broadcasting something. Co- convention. British British Broadcasting Company. So basically, it's the channel in the UK that is not owned by any private entity. It's a public entity, you know, it's kind of controlled Mm. by the government. It's controlled by the government and funded by the government, but it, it, it has editorial autonomy, which means that it doesn't have to, you know, spread government propaganda, which is an important point that comes into what I'm about to say. So Gary Lineker does a lot of the commentating on football match of the day and other things for the BBC. And recently he tweeted out to his huge, like 9 million Twitter following that he tweeted out against the immigration policies of the UK. So after the UK announced its immigration policy, Gary Lineker tweeted, there is no huge influx. 
We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. Basically, what he did was he likened our immigration policy in language to the uprising of the Nazi party in Germany in the 1930s and went against the government, right? He spoke out against what the government is doing, which is, he thinks, a bad thing. Just to specify what he was talking about as well, though, um, Suella Braverman, who is the Home Secretary, has described people coming to this country as an invasion, right? It's that sort of, like, terminology which he's talking about, I describing real people who were seeking asylum and that sort of thing as invading this country and being a threat to our nation. And the immigration policy that was announced specifically is one that is meant to be anti-small boats, so anti-people coming across the channel and in dinghies and risking their lives to come over. And they're looking to deter people from doing that by saying that they're hoping to, anyway, bring in a policy that will ship everyone off immediately to another country. Never what country would be but essentially it's to deter people from, from trying to seek a, a better life here. Thank you. So after he tweeted this, the BBC was not happy because the BBC is meant to be impartial in terms of the content that it presents. It should be impartial and therefore not in favour of the government or not against the government. And so as a, well, contractor for the BBC, they didn't think that it was acceptable that he would be he should tweet things that are outwardly against what the government is saying, or potentially outwardly for what the government is saying, that we'll get into whether they actually would have cared about that in a bit. But yeah, so they said that he wasn't allowed to present the match of the day, his job, and as a consequence, all of the other commentators walked out, so there was no commentating on match of the day, like last week or something. And now he has been allowed to come back. The BBC stepped down, essentially. They said, okay, we're going to review our social media policies. Please, like, tweet in line with them going forwards or whatever but you can come back and continue commentating and so the majority of people in the uk at least have sided with gary lineker here in this debate but i want to talk to you about it benji like what are your thoughts is this censorship by the bbc or is it fair because they need to mm. re remain impartial well the, the thing is that ultimately it it can't be one rule for some and one for others. And there were many, many examples of people who are associated with the BBC, who work for the BBC, who have spouted their personal political views online. Do you follow Lord Sugar, Alan Sugar? I don't, who, who thankfully. Who does The Apprentice? Okay. Well, I don't follow him. I used to, and I had to not, because I still want to watch The Apprentice. Judge me if you want. That show is camp. But he regularly posts quite trash views quite ignorant views very very much like your out of touch granddad you know after a few pints very that on twitter but he's allowed to continue i believe the chairman of the bbc is a tory donor that doesn't sound very impartial to me and some officials from the bbc have been interviewed and they've been asked would it have been different if gary lineker had actually agreed with the policy and they have been able to provide a direct answer and a, and a direct response i think ultimately yes the content is meant to be impartial okay sure and then 
people associated with BBC are meant to have impartial views. But I feel like someone expressing their personal opinion on a policy on their personal Twitter account, and especially when it comes to something like this, someone standing up for refugees and, and someone actually calling out something for what it is, really. I think even if it allegedly goes against some sort of policy, I think it's a very damning indictment of, you know, what the BBC values for them to latch onto this tweet specifically to be like, actually, no, that's not okay. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just very telling. I want to kind of be a bit cheeky here. So to summarise, you Go don't think that Gary Lineker should have been fired or, you know, told to stand down from his position because of a social media post that he made. I think that if the policy is that people who are associated with BBC cannot go on social media and spout partisan views, then that is something that should be applied across the board. And it's not because Lord Alan Sugar has a show on the BBC and spouts partisan views. There are many other examples that have been surfaced in recent weeks where people have been like, well, this happens all the time. But it just seems to be that because it was against what the government is saying and advising that they latched onto this particular situation. And of course, because the topic of immigration is a hot button issue, I guess. That's one part of what I'm saying. And then also another part of what I'm saying is that ultimately, even if there is this kind of rule in place, even if they had the right to say something about it, the fact that they chose to say something about it and to get Gary Lineker kind of, you know, have him be suspended or have him not commentate on the show for a bit. I think that says a lot about what the BBC values and where their values lie. And actually it's hypocritical because you're saying you're an impartial company, but at the same time, you calling this out is you taking a stance, which just isn't very impartial. Do you know what okay. I mean? That's, that's what I'm saying. I do. Because what I wanted to, I think you've, you know, covered yourself quite well here. But what I was going to do was draw a parallel that I'm sure some people will be making in that there have been incidents of people losing their jobs because of something they've posted on social media. And one that mm. comes to mind, and maybe this is a little teaser for next week's episode, but one that comes to mind is the infamous JK Rowling tweet that started it all, that was, you know, her transphobic, love who you want behind closed doors, dress however you want, like blah, 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 but firing a woman from her job for like posting on social media that biological sex exists that's just wrong or something like that whatever anyway the whole point is that people have been fired from their jobs for transphobic views on social media and so we presumably i imagine that you like i think that it's not ridiculous to fire someone from their job for being transphobic on social media. No. Like, I think it's acceptable for a company to fire their mm. employees for putting harmful views on social media that may then reflect badly on the company or just go against the company's general policy, right? Mm. I agree. So yeah. we agree that it's then okay for a company to fire an employee for having a particular view that they make public. And so there will be people asking the question, oh, well then how can you say that it's okay when it's like a transphobic view, but when it's Gary Lineker and you agree mm. with what he said instead, how can't you be okay with them firing him? And the answer to that question, which you, you covered quite well, is the hypocrisy of the BBC, I think, is that they are mm. claiming to be impartial, but they're not firing other employees 
So their policy mm. is impartiality. If a normal company has a policy of, you know, progressive ideas and tolerance and someone goes and says something hateful and transphobic online, then it makes sense why mm. they would fire them because they don't want to be associated. If that person instead had been posting something pro-trans, then that company mm. wouldn't fire them because it doesn't go against their policy. But the BBC's line is, we are impartial, so okay, there should be neither pro- or anti-immigration views, but it seems telling, as you said, that they're making a fuss about this, but they weren't making a fuss about Lord Sugar or anyone else that's part of the BBC that has expressed views that aren't impartial. Mm. Yeah, And I think that's where like the argument changes, is that the BBC has shown a lack of consistency. Mm. Yeah, 100%. If you're saying that your line is impartiality, then stick to that line. You haven't stuck to it, and you've therefore exposed yourself as actually, you know, a company who doesn't really care about impartiality, but you actually just care about the people who you employ kind of towing, towing the line. And the thing is, is that we pay for the BBC, right, with our, with our taxes. And so now this becomes a public issue and one that we all have a stake in. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And it's interesting because my days of being so naive to think that the press is impartial are long behind me. But when I'm researching a topic, the BBC is one that I go to for a neutral position on stuff, knowing that it's not truly neutral, right? But like a more towards the neutral side of things. And this has kind of made me just rethink that really. Have you ever thought like the BBC is more towards the neutral side of things when it comes to like political issues? I mean, in general, because that's what it, it claims to be. The BBC claims impartiality. No other, you know, The mm. Guardian doesn't claim to be impartial. The Guardian claims to be left wing, no. you know? The Daily Mail is obviously very right wing kind of thing. Mm. And I mean, there have been issues with impartiality in the past with the BBC. I think scholarly mm. research showed that in its presentation of the Iraq war, it presented things in a more favourable light towards our government than it should have. Mm. But for the mm. most part, yeah, I think the BBC is impartial and the vast majority of British people agree when there are sort of surveys about it. I think it's around 18 million people agreed that it was impartial, whereas only sort of 14 million people felt that ITV and other other channels with their news were mm. impartial. Okay. Uh, but it's, yeah, obviously has some issues. I mean, you remember Turf Wars, J.K. Rowling's essay, her 3,000-word essay on, yeah. on, on transphobia, essentially. That was given a prize. That was voted essay of the year by the BBC, which is absolutely wild and doesn't mm. seem... And it's wild not because of the views, but because of how they were expressed. It does not hold up as an essay. As an academic essay, it sort of quotes statistics, but gives you no citations for them. And J.K. Rowling went to university, like, she mm. should know better. And when you look up these statistics that she's fabricating from thin air, they are fabricated from thin air. Like, they're not true statistics. And so to give mm. that essay, essay of the year, is wild to me. That's shows like a lack mm. of impartiality somewhere because and and the bbc has always not been great about the trans debate the bbc has not been impartial about it and it's sort of hidden behind this oh we're impartial because for every trans person that we have on air 
we will have an anti-trans person, right? So it's balanced and it's fair mm. and it's impartial. But that's not actually what, if you look at like the royal charter, it requires due impartiality, but that doesn't require equal time given to opposing views. And one example that's brought up is like Holocaust deniers. The BBC is under no obligation to provide as much airtime to a Holocaust denier as a historian saying the Holocaust happened. Because why would it? Like, it doesn't mm. make sense to, mm. to give them as much time to, to spread their harmful views as time given to, you know, the actual historically accurate and educational view. So I think the, the BBC has issues with impartiality because at the end of the day, it's run by humans. Um, none of us is perfect we're all subject to you know systemic biases and prejudice and so there are going to be issues maybe there are even deeper issues with you know the chairman being a tory donor and stuff like that but as you said full neutrality mm. is impossible well i think that brings us to the end of this episode episode 22 thank you all so much for listening we really appreciate you it's been actually really exciting lately to see the engagement pick up and yeah just please 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 do keep supporting us because yeah we see each and every one of you and we appreciate you so so much and one thing you can do to help the podcast out is by clicking that five star rating on spotify and apple podcast please to let the platform know that you love this show and you can also follow us on instagram at tiktoks podcast and on tiktok at TikTok podcast. Uh, and if you're ready, follow us there. Please do make sure to check our page and engage with our latest posts. That really helps us. You can also email us at the TikTok podcast at gmail.com. That's it. And we'll see you on the next episode. Slay. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.